Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast, located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we are a community striving to be faithfully present to God, self, and others. We hope this is an encouragement to you in your life, no matter where you are. Thanks for joining us. All right, so here we go. Acts chapter 21 through 24. I'm going to summarize what we just heard. All right, so the Apostle Paul is in the city of Miletus. That's in southeast uh, Turkey. And he heads toward Lebanon on the northern of uh, the border of Israel to the city of Tyre. As he gets there, he is warned by prophets along the way. It's not going to go good for you, but Paul won't be deterred. He continues on. Then he arrives at Philip's house. Philip is one of the seven that was selected in Acts chapter 6 to serve the local church. Philip had four godly daughters. All were given the gift of prophecy. One unique prophet, the prophet Agabus that we saw in chapter 11, he shows up now at Philip's house and prophesies saying, Paul, it's going to go bad for you down in Jerusalem. They're going to bind your hands and bind your feet. It's going to go bad. And yet Paul will not stop there either. He is resolved. I will get to Jerusalem. I will hand off this offering that I've been collecting for the church there. And then my hope is to get to Rome. Paul continues on. Then we see Paul arrives in Jerusalem. He stays at Mason's house. And as Paul is there, he then moves, well, from Mason's house into the city itself, and he begins to meet with James, the apostle, uh, the, the elder of the church in Jerusalem, and, and the other leaders there. And as he does, Paul begins to share the testimony of what God's been doing throughout the empire, healings and preaching and Churches being planted and leaders being raised up. He shares that God's carried him through his sufferings. And the church rejoices over the good news of the gospel that has gotten out of Jerusalem through Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then they, the James and the others remind Paul, there's Jews in this city that there's thousands of them that have come to believe in Jesus. And yet they're also very much so still abiding by their ancestral customs, according to the Old Testament law. And Paul, some of them have heard that you're out there teaching things that are contrary to the law, or you're not holding all Jews to abide strictly by every letter that Moses spoke. And then Paul, we know, is not preaching in opposition to the law as much as he's actually preaching Christ as the fulfillment of the law. And so they're in a predicament going, gosh, if these Jews that claim Christ become enraged over Paul, perhaps being a heretic, they may in fact want to end up taking the Apostle Paul's life. So James and the others suggest Paul. Take a Nazarite vow. There's four other men here that are doing that as well. They're abstaining from wine and strong drink. They've shaved their heads. They're fasting. They're, they're going through a, a ritual that Jews did at the time uh, as they petitioned God. They said, take a Nazarite vow. It will become physically obvious to everyone that you're not totally in opposition to the law. So Paul goes, all right, I'll do it. 
It leans into his theology of, I become all things to all people that I may say some. To the Jews, I become like a Jew, and, uh, and to those outside of the law, I become like a Gentile. Right? So he's, I'll go under the law, and does so, and takes the vow. Paul completes his seven-day fast, and when, that's when Jews from Ephesus, that, from Turkey, that had been persecuting him, they show up in Jerusalem, and they lie about Paul. And they tell people and they start spreading lies about him saying, Paul's bringing Gentiles into the inner court of the temple, which was punishable by death. To have a Gentile in the inner court, there was an outer court for Gentiles. They cannot come into the inner court. They said, yeah, Paul's actually doing that. He's desecrating our temple. But Paul didn't. But they spread that rumor nonetheless. So they seized Paul. And they begin to beat Paul, and they're trying to take Paul's life. Claudius, a Roman official, gets word of this. And in all the chaos, he sends in his troops to restore order and arrest Paul. Then, from that moment forward, you'll see throughout the remainder of the book of Acts, Paul is a prisoner. He's no longer free to travel wherever he wants in the empire and preach. He'll spend the rest of his life in a form of prison. There'll be some kind of small exceptions uh, when he gets to Rome and he's under house arrest, and we'll get there uh, in a couple of weeks. So Paul can no longer travel. And then we see Claudius tries to figure out, that's the Roman official, Claudius tries to figure out the situation, and they take Paul into their fortress and Paul has carried up two flights of stairs. He's been beaten badly. They carry him up and they start shouting, away with him. Same kind of language they used in reference to Jesus not so long ago in a very similar place. Claudius then suspects, he starts to talk to Paul and he starts to think, wait, Paul, you might be the Egyptian that came in here not long ago and brought about an insurrection. There was an Egyptian uh, that... that tried to seize the city of Jerusalem. He was unsuccessful, and this Egyptian actually escaped. So he was a wanted man. Paul is now here, and so Claudius goes, you might be that guy. And then Paul, of course, responds with, no, I'm not an Egyptian. (laughs) I'm from Tarsus, a very important, respected city in the empire. I'm not an Egyptian. And then Paul begins to say, so let me address the people. And Claudius says, okay, fine. So Paul goes back out. He comes out of his cell, and then he begins to address the crowd that was just beating him, and he gives his testimony in chapter 22. And he begins to tell his story, telling everyone there, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was born on the tribe of Benjamin. I, I, I followed God with all the zeal in my heart all the days of my life. I've memorized the Bible. I saw Jesus not as the Son of God, but as someone who was uh, a, a blasphemer, someone bringing great chaos into our world, into our customs. And so I persecuted every follower of Jesus. I, I put Stephen the apostle to death. I was driving men and women into prison. I was persecuting the church with all my heart. And then Jesus appeared to me. He came out of heaven, blinded me, knocks me off my horse, says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And then Saul has this conversation with Jesus, is led by the hand. Paul is blind for three days. He sees Ananias the prophet. Scales fall from his eyes. Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit, is baptized, takes a meal, and then goes out and begins to preach the gospel about faith in Jesus, about salvation that comes from God, not from our works and not from anything that we try to do by being good moral people. Salvation is a gift that we receive by grace and through faith, and therefore we live a lifestyle of repentance. He proclaims his testimony to the people. As Paul does, toward the end of Acts 22, a riot stirs back up. And the tribune decided to extract the truth out of Paul. They go, what have you just done to this crowd? Now you've made them even more angry. So they tie Paul up and they're about to beat Paul with the flagellum. That's the thing that they, they scourged Jesus with. It's going to be a brutal beating that most people die from. And if they don't die, then they're at least left crippled for the rest of their lives. Paul is about to suffer big time. And as they're tying Paul up and getting ready for the beating, Paul stops and says, hold on, you're gonna do you're gonna beat me? A Roman citizen? And they went, wait. You're a Roman citizen. So the man hears this and goes, I'm not doing this, because it was illegal for a Roman to scourge another Roman. So Paul appealed to his citizenship. And so now the Romans go. All right, well, let's get your Jewish authorities in here. So they get the Sanhedrin, this council of 70 or so uh, Jewish experts in the law. And as they do, Paul begins with saying, listen, everyone, I'm innocent before God. He barely gets those words out. And the high priest that's in the, the Sanhedrin signaled to one of his servants, hit him. Paul says, I'm innocent before God. And bang, Paul's punched right in the face. And Paul says, whoa, who did the, you whitewash wall? Which was a way of saying, whoever ordered him to punch me, you're all, you're crumbling walls. You paint your wall white, but you're coming down. How dare you strike me? I'm innocent before God. And then someone says, hey, you just insulted the high priest, Paul. Paul goes, oh, I'm sorry. Even in this circumstance, Exodus tells me that I'm not supposed to speak evil of someone in authority. I'm sorry. Paul apologized. Even as he's being treated unjustly. <sighs> so then Paul looks around and he reads the room and he notices something. And I just love this scene. The Sanhedrin, these Jewish authorities, are made up of these two parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees, they believe in Moses and the law and the prophets, the Psalms. They believe in angels. They believe in the afterlife. And they believe in the resurrection, things that Christians believe in. Paul believed. Pharisees also believed. Sadducees, they only believe in the law of Moses. They don't believe in the afterlife. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in those things. Paul in that moment reads the room, sees the crack between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Paul says, I'm a Pharisee. And in that moment, he breaks into that crack and exploits it and opens the room up. And the room goes, wait, what? 
the Pharisees then side with Paul, going, wait, <laughs> he's one of us. Paul was, in fact, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And so then the room is all turned up. And so we have a riot that's about to break out in the Sanhedrin. So as everyone's getting heated, one of the Roman officials take Paul out of the room and put him back in the barracks. And then Jesus comes to him the next night. Jesus comes to Paul, appears to him in his cell and says, Paul, you're going to make it to Rome. Take heart, my brother. I'm with you. That gives Paul all (laughs) the wind in his sail that he'll need for the rest of his life. Take courage. I'm with you. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. So Paul takes courage. Then there's a plot by these other zealots. These people that are, there's 40 of them that are just passionate. They want to see Paul brought to death. And so they get together and they say, Let's take a vow before God. We will not eat or drink until Paul is dead. They're going to take Paul out one way or another. Well, of all people, this surprising figure that we don't know anything about overhears that conversation. It's Paul's nephew. (laughs) Who knew Paul had a sister? It's Paul's nephew. And, And Paul's nephew overhears that. And goes and gets access to Paul's cell and says, hey man, I know you've got the Sanhedrin. They're all upset now. There's actually a sect of people that are going to take your life. We've got to figure something out. Paul goes, well, go talk to Claudius, the Roman. Tell him. Claudius goes, well, this isn't good. I can't have people killing a Roman citizen on my watch. This isn't going to go good. So Claudius goes, we've got to get you out of here, Paul. It's such an adventure. He gets 200 soldiers, puts Paul on a horse in the middle of the night, and they travel 60-ish miles north to a city called Caesarea. So he gets to Caesarea, and then Claudius sent a letter with Paul that night to uh, the governor known as Felix. And the letter explains everything that's been going on down in Jerusalem. And so Felix reads the letter, and then he decides to listen to Paul when his accusers will finally show up. Now we're in chapter 24. Five days later, Ananias and the accusers do arrive, and they state their case. And one thing that they're saying about Paul is that, Paul, this man, we are sick of this man. He is traveling all over the world. This man is a plague, a plague. Of all the things to call Paul, his reputation was this man is plaguing the world. You know, we don't have to look far, and I'm not the most creative when it comes to sermon illustrations, but since this is a mask, you know, we've all had a good dose of what it looks like to see a real plague in our world that we cover our faces in a way and we keep our distance and we, right? This plague, this plague that, that's driven us all into our homes and cost so much. This is the reputation. This is what they call Paul, that this man is affecting and infecting everyone. Everywhere he goes, 
he, all, all he has to do is talk and, and people begin to follow this Jesus. It's a plague. We want it to stop. We've got to stop this plague. But has Paul really been a plague in any kind of destructive sense? No. A plague of church planting, a plague of mercy ministry, a plague committed to tearing down walls that divide Jews and Gentiles. That's hardly, well, maybe we could have more of that kind of gospel plague. <laughs> a plague of compassion. That's what they called Paul. And then Paul defends himself and says, I'm not teaching anything that's you know, not according to the scriptures. I'm teaching the resurrection. And then Felix says, all right, I, I'm going to deal with this when Claudius finally shows up. And so Felix and his wife then go and they ask to hear more from Paul. So now Paul's in Caesarea, he's imprisoned, and Felix is He's educated in the way. He knows a good bit about the gospel. And they've got this, they've got Paul himself imprisoned. And Felix and his wife are interested in hearing more. So they begin to go to Paul. And Paul begins to tell them about Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And as Paul's doing it, Paul, there's three things that it says in Acts 24. Paul then emphasized righteousness. Um self-control, and the future judgment. Felix, as he's listening to this, is hearing this and starts to kind of develop a relationship. He knows Paul is a man of means because Paul had this big amount of money that he had collected to take down to Jerusalem. Perhaps if I keep showing up and listening to Paul talk to me about this gospel, perhaps I can build a relationship and have Paul try to bribe me to get him out of jail. That's what Felix was doing in listening to Paul explaining the gospel. He wasn't actually there to hear the gospel as much as he was there trying to get Paul to... Uh, more or less cave into his desire to make a few bucks off Paul. But I want to point out these three things that Paul's telling this Roman official and his wife. Righteousness, sound doctrine, or um, righteousness, self-control, and the future judgment. Paul's talking to someone in authority who has the power to save life or to kill. He has the power to oppress or to set free. He's talking to somebody that knows a thing or two or should know a thing or two about justice. And Paul, he's not just talking about righteousness as in God's righteousness. He's talking about righteous judgment. Something that an official would need to know about. And Paul's showing him how the gospel of Jesus pertains to how he needs to be living his life. Paul's telling this man in authority over him, look, <laughs> there is a righteousness outside of you <laughs> that you need. And it is in this gospel, Christ Jesus, that I'm talking about. True righteousness. He also tells Felix that in this gospel message, that we're called to a life of repentance and true self-control, meaning that I am not the purpose of my own existence and my whole life is not about me and I am not the hero of the story and life, the sun doesn't rise and, and set on my will. No, I'm called to submit to the lordship of Jesus in every area 
of my life and then live by the power of the Holy Spirit a life of true self-control. If you're a Christian today, remember that, that you have been gifted the Holy Spirit not only to comfort you, but to empower you and instruct you that you might exercise true self-control. What are the areas in your life right now that are out of control? Maybe it has to do with diet. Maybe it has to do with something with uh, where you're going on the internet. Maybe it has to do with a relationship. Maybe it has to do with what you're doing with your money. Where do you need to exercise self-control? You've been given the strength and the power to do so in the Holy Spirit. The last thing that Paul emphasizes, and it's so important, is this. The future judgment. The judgment is real. The judgment is coming. Paul, in his testimony, had said, I believe that God is going to judge. He's going to resurrect the, li the living and the dead. There, there is a judgment coming for those that are in Christ and outside of Christ. And as unpopular as it is to say, it's the gospel truth that there is a future judgment in which Hebrews 9, 24 through 27 talk about it, right? It's, it's appointed for man once to die and then the judgment, that we do give an account for the life that we live. We do answer not to a mirror. <laughs> we don't stand before a spouse or a friend or a boss or a coworker. We don't stand before an Instagram account. We stand before Almighty God, and we do give an account for the lives that we've lived, the lives that we've, the things that we've done or the things we've left undone. We give an account for how we use our minds. We give an account for how we use our bodies. We give an account for what we ponder in our hearts. We give an account for how we stewarded our money and our resources. We give an account for our families. We give an account for how we responded or did not respond to Jesus and the gospel. Church, as unpopular as it is to talk about in Seattle, Washington in 2021, I need you to hear this again and cling to the truth of Scripture. Hold fast to your salvation. Do not neglect your salvation. Make your calling and your election sure. There is a future judgment in which we go before the throne of God and either we go clothed in our own flesh or we go clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Those are our only options. If you're not a Christian here today, I want to entreat you, implore you, beg you to place your faith in the Lord Jesus. That as you go before your judgment, I need you to know that the judge has been judged in our place. And that in Christ, we need not fear or dread future judgment because all, all of our sins on him were laid. He's averted the wrath of God. He has given to us his righteousness. And because we are now in him, we are free and safe from all condemnation. That is good news. That's Acts chapter 21 through 24. Thank you for listening.